The New Statesman. Hello, you're listening to a special episode of the New Statesman podcast from the New Statesman Spotlight team. We cover policy for those who shape it and the businesses it affects. I'm Becky Slack. In this episode, we're discussing productivity. Productivity is the key to unlocking greater prosperity in cities. For businesses, increasing workers' productivity leads to higher profitability, wages and economic growth. For public sector organisations, it leads to better public services, value for money for the taxpayer and a happier, healthier population. But economic growth in the UK is stagnating. While the world has faced many shocks in recent decades, including the global financial crash, the pandemic and the war in Ukraine, the UK's recovery has been particularly sluggish. Both wage and productivity growth are among the slowest for G7 countries, according to figures from PwC. So, what can we do to boost the prosperity of the UK's cities? This episode is sponsored by PwC, one of the world's leading professional services firms. Joining me from PwC is Katie Johnston, a partner at the firm and a specialist in public services and local government. Also on the panel, we have Marvin Rees, the Mayor of Bristol, and Tom Riordan, CEO of Leeds City Council. Welcome to you all. I'm going to start with an open-ended question. How would you define productivity? Katie, let's start with you. Thank you, Becky. In the public sector, we generally talk about the provision of human services, such as a procedure by a healthcare professional, or visit by a social worker, or investment in skills and training. It is helpful to know how many procedures or visits have been carried out at a given, you know, a given time and at a given cost. But what if these interventions are less effective than is intended? What if they fail to produce the intended outcome? In the examples I've just given, the desired outcome might be a measurable improvement in a person's health or the provision of harm to a vulnerable person or a young person's success in finding a skilled job. The outputs are only of value if they consistently lead to those outcomes. In the absence of evidence about the outcomes, we cannot really say that public sector activity is productive. This presents an obvious challenge because outputs are relatively easy to measure, whereas outcomes are far more difficult. Frequently, they only become clear some time after the intervention, and it's often difficult and expensive to track what happens or what doesn't happen over time. Nevertheless, I think it's really important to think about productivity in the public sector in terms of outcomes, not just outputs. Thanks, Katie. Marvin, do you agree with that? Is productivity about outcomes as well as outputs? Yeah, I welcome the conversation about outcomes because it's one of the challenges I have as a political leader and Tom will have as a chief executive of local authority that sometimes any organisation, not just local government, can get consumed by its processes. And as long as it's run a process, not paying any mind to whether the outcomes of that process are actually doing all that they could do. I define productivity simply as getting more from less be that getting more services, getting more goods, getting better happiness for your population from less, right? Less money, less resource use, less natural resource use from the country, less use of, of time. 
And on that basis, I, I guess it's in line with some of the themes that will come up today. My argument since becoming mayor, especially, has been that cities are, are pretty much uniquely placed in the world to offer that increased productivity because they have that very special feature of density with people and organizations in such close proximity to each other. We have incredible opportunities to, to use resource better and to innovate quicker to unlock more productivity. And Tom, how about you? What, how do you define it up in Leeds? For us in Leeds and the North, productivity is felt not like such a puzzle and a complicated issue. We just want a better transport system first and foremost. And when we compare that with the fantastic system that rightly London's got as the, the world financial capital, let's say, for the country, that's really important. It's driven that growth and productivity in London. And if the North could have that as well, it would make such a massive difference. And the reality is that what that means for people from the poorest communities in our city or in neighboring cities like Bradford, they just can't afford to get to work or to learning opportunities. Um, and so they don't achieve their potential. And, and that's what, what the problem is in human terms. And then businesses don't get the opportunity to tap into a wider group of talent, a more diverse group of talent than they otherwise would. So I do think it's very much about the outcome that we were talking about that Katie started and Marvin expanded upon. And, and then finally, very much in this decade moving forward and the next one after that, I think the big difference will be around net zero and around the, the carbon impact of what we do, because that will increasingly feed through to not being able to be as productive as we otherwise would be. Katie, you spoke about some of the difficulties with measuring outputs and, and outcomes. You, over at PwC, you've got a productivity tracker. Can you tell us a little bit about that and what your findings are, please? In our first issue, we showed that the UK does not compare well to other G7 countries in terms of productivity because we just don't invest enough. Uh, with the spotlight being on manufacturing. In the latest issue, we look at the challenges from a regional perspective, which picks up a lot of what Tom and Marvin have just been saying. The big issue here is the gap in productivity between London and other UK cities is greater than you would find in other European countries. We just don't have a low productivity economy at a national level. We have an even bigger problem in cities outside of London. Interestingly, though, when we look at that evidence, some of the least productive regions in the UK have also recorded the highest levels of growth in output per hour in recent years. Perhaps not surprisingly, we're talking about those regions such as Northern Ireland and the East Midlands who have really benefited from investment. And the message is really clear to me. If you're able and willing to make investment in the infrastructure, facilities, skills, you'll see an improvement in productivity. And that's easy for me to say, but at a time when our economy is growing very slowly, it's clearly difficult to find the money for investment. The real difficulty we have is working out how to target the funding we can afford so that it will have its greatest impact. Excellent. Thanks, Katie. Before we go on to that, I just Marvin, a question for you, please. Um, you're co-chair on the Royal Society of Arts Urban Futures Commission. Can you tell us a bit about the commission and, and what its report says? Have you also been looking at productivity and the role of investment in boosting different cities' experiences? Yeah, that's right. So I'm co-chairing that with Andy Helding from the RSA. And we've launched this piece of work as Core Cities. So I'm chair of Core Cities UK. 
to say a core cities, um, RSA piece of work. And obviously Leeds is one of those core cities as well. So the 11 biggest cities outside London. So we've got three simple questions. First off, what are cities? Right. And that, that sounds like a straightforward question, but actually it's one that I don't think we really work with as a country. Cities are not just other local authorities. They are particular things. They're not regions. They are particular things. High, high density living, global connectivity. Most of us will recognize we have over 150 countries of origin within us as well. So they are things. And when we understand what they are, then as a nation, we'll be able to think about, well, what do they mean to us and how do we use them? The second question then is, what do we need our cities to be? So what does the UK need a city to be when we understand what they are? And that is going to be a function of the local, regional, national, and international challenges we all face. So cities have a role within regional economies. They have a role within the national economy. Uh, they don't just work within their geography, by the way. Cities will connect. So Leeds is the new home of Channel 4 headquarters. We are one of Channel 4's creative sectors along with, uh, along with Glasgow. So we are connected across that creative sector, even though we're not geographically close. So what do we need our cities to be? Let's do cities on purpose in the UK. At the moment, we're not, right? We're just seeing what happens when the dice is rolled, whoever gets the latest funding round bid. And then the third question is, if we know what our cities are and we know what we need them to be, how do we get them there? Again, let's have a plan, a plan to make, turn our cities into the things that will best serve the people within those cities, the regions around those cities, the nation um, and the world. And obviously that goes across questions of economic inclusion, tackling poverty, political stability, cultural strength, soft power, economic growth connected to productivity, uh, climate change, you know, ecological loss, understanding the role of cities in all those challenges is uh, what we're about. And by the way, in terms of untapped potential, and Tom may pick more up on this, if you brought the core cities alone, those 11 cities, up to the levels of productivity of our European counterparts, you're talking about uh, uh, over 100 billion a year into the national economy. Yeah, that is a national scandal that we haven't said, oh, what, what's that opportunity we have right in front of us? Okay, let's have a conversation around how we get hold of that lot potential that we carry year on year. And what were the report's recommendations? How are you going to grasp some of that potential? Well, there's a whole bunch of things in the report. But if I pick out three in particular, one was about giving uh, cities or local authorities in general, but if I took cities uh, a statutory responsibility for um, economic growth, and obviously that will include productivity. And the second is about looking at the locus of leadership. When we, the conversation around devolution, I find is often a, a conversation that sounds like it, it's exclusionary. You devolve these powers to local government, we'll take those powers and we'll say to government, right, we don't want to talk to you again. I think we need to shift that conversation. It's one about who's best place to lead. And when you find out who's best place to lead at any one time, the next question is, well, what is your role as a follower? Follower is not a subservient position. It's a position that empowers the leader. So sometimes national government has to come in alongside us as city leaders in working out, well, what is that, what is that path to growth and prosperity we have? And how do we support you on that? The third area I would pick out is one that local authorities in the LGA have been raising constantly. The way we fund local government at the moment is too much based on this competitive, short-term, chaotic funding round. The government will throw eight million pounds on the table and tell us all to fight for it. And then someone writes a good bid, someone writes a less good bid, they stick it into an Excel sheet and someone gets money. That is not a national strategy. You may as well hand over the government to the national lottery and just have us doing, you know, 
funding bids every now and again. What we need is an evidence-based plan that sequences the investment across this country um, in infrastructure. Something that Katie was saying really put me in mind of this. We are one of the most socially immobile countries in the OECD. That effectively means that your background determines where you end up in life. It, it determines the, the size of the skills pool that our businesses and our public sector have access to. Again, we leave billions of pounds worth of untapped talent undeveloped in this country because it was born into poverty. Social immobility is one of the biggest sources of our low productivity in this country. And it certainly says that when we think about public spending, I think we can start to redefine it. Spending on education, spending on health is investment in the productivity and the resilience of our population that will benefit the whole country. Thanks, Marvin. Tom, do you want to come in? I mean, we've heard talk about investment. You've mentioned transport. Marvin's just mentioned social mobility. Like, what are your thoughts on all of this? What are you thinking about at Leeds in terms of making the city more productive? The thing that we're really focusing on is transport, as I said, because that's our, our big priority and doubling down on the fact that we, we have a good, decent arterial rail system that comes into the city out the region. We're pretty well linked to London through the East Coast mainline, but that needs to be improved and needs more capacity. The way that we're going to try and do that locally is through a mass transit system with the biggest city in Europe without one. Those plans are very exciting. We're going to link it to regeneration and to job opportunities for young people. And buses are another one where if you're elected like Marvin to lead a city, one of the things that can make the biggest difference to inequality is linking people up to job opportunities and learning opportunities. And the bus is the most used public transport route to do that. And we just don't have the ability to make sure they go to the, the right places in our in our cities and towns than that they should do. So more control over that is important. But I think the other thing I would say is about look, stepping back and looking at your economy and understanding it and knowing what you're really good at in globally competitive terms, not just in terms of, you know, are we in a league table where we're against Bristol and Manchester and others, but what about the global competitiveness issue? We did a piece of work with MIT in Boston, with Sydney, Oslo, Monterey and other global cities. And it was a fantastic opportunity to look outward and upward. And it showed to us just what strengths we have in health and tech. Our digital sector is flying. It's really one of the UK strengths now, we would argue. And the fact that we have the NHS based in Leeds, the fact that we've now got Channel 4, as Marvin said, gives us big creative and digital and health opportunities that it makes sense for the country to back, not just for us. And I, I would just ask listeners to reflect on if you've been recently to see a few of the cities in the UK, there's been a, a massive success story of regeneration that's happened in every major city outside London over the last couple of decades. But it's not even, you know, when you talk about the economy of the country, it just becomes a deficit-based conversation. And it's, it's turned into, well, if it's good for Leeds, it can't be good for London. We've got to compete with our colleagues in other core cities. That's wrong. Of course, there's a bit of competition for inward investment, but actually it's in all our interests to have a national industrial strategy and transport and infrastructure strategy linked to net zero in the way that Marvin described, and it will be good for the whole country. And we can all do better if we capitalize on our strengths. London's on financial services, us on things like health and tech and others on what they're brilliant at. 
Thanks, Tom. Katie, I can see you nodding throughout there. Did you, did you have something you wanted to add? No, def- definitely agree with what Tom and Marvin are saying. And that's actually is correlated to what in our regional report, developing the place-based strategy is an absolute must. You know, if the government isn't willing or able to come up with a national industrial strategy, then we have to let local leaders and communities fill that gap without a doubt. And, you know, we've now got combined authorities and regional mayors that give us a real opportunity to do this at a sensible level. In our Good Growth the Cities report, we talk a lot about what's been achieved by city regions so far, what matters most to the people who live there, but also talks about the challenges and the need for inclusive growth, which balances productivity, the environment and the community outcomes. Important as well that we champion regional industrial clusters. These attract the businesses with common requirements and enable them to benefit from shared pool of finance, expertise and, and sort of skilled workers. Where I'm from, the Humber is the most carbon intensive region in the country, but it's also home to the world's largest offshore wind energy cluster. And the second bit, just to pick up what Tom was saying, because I'm very passionate about this as an area, it's the focus on skills for the future. The local government, education and businesses sort of need to collaborate to target some of those specific regional talents that are needed. By doing so, we can then provide organisations with the talent they need while offering local people openings into better paid jobs and high quality employment. I know Marvin's got an excellent example in Bristol, but I'll let him talk about that. Yeah, one of the most successful interventions we've had down here actually has been about how we build an inclusive economy. It's a programme called Stepping Up. The first year it focused on black and Asian people and then the second year included women and disabled people. And these were people that were kind of stuck within the economy, reached the glass ceiling or couldn't get off the sticky floor, um, as it were. And around them, it's one of Bristol's ongoing challenges that there is a lot of wealth in the city and the economy is bundling on on many, on many fronts. But we're a city that's just fractured by inequality and there are people being left behind. So as the economy continues to develop, you know, the, the challenge we face is how do we make sure people are all having a piece of that? Now, they may be on the front line, there may be direct programs in areas such as, you know, air source heat pumps or, or retrofitting. So we're trying to make sure we get a skills pipeline, but there's all, there's everything that runs off the back of that to make that possible. And I will say that with stepping up within a year, I think 60% of that first cohort went on to get promotions in their employment. So it was really unlocking, like I said, they, those little moments for people to be able to progress and really be sharing in the, in the prosperity, uh, you know, of the city. Um, there's a, there's another scheme, which is run by uh, one of our key city partners called Babasa. Um, it's our city and, and they have an aim of making sure that every family within the inner city area of Bristol, just to start with, has at least one person on the median income. Now, if you're going to do that again, you have to talk to businesses that are going to be growing about how you create those pathways into the year, the economy. And that means doing inclusion on purpose. It means getting beyond let's grow and then run a couple of projects and see how we can stick some inclusion on the back of it. Do it at the front end. By the way, I think if you do create um, economic stability for people, you also created conditions in which the scale and pace of economic change we have to go through to deal with the consequences of climate change are more possible. The danger of all the, one of the perversions I say within climate change is it's the poorest and the most vulnerable to get hit first and hardest. And then they are most vulnerable to the economic restructuring we have to go through. 
And if that happens, you lose the dressing room, you end up with political rebellion against, against measures designed to decarbonize your economy. So making sure that we're lining people up with that, with those future economy needs is absolutely um, essential. Thanks, Marvin. I'm really glad that you introduced the environment because I think that's a really important question, particularly as we um, travel towards um, net zero. Tom, what's happening up at Leeds with regards to sustainability goals and, and productivity? Yeah, I mean, we, we've got some fantastic stuff going on, actually. We've got a new district heating system, so we're reusing the waste energy that we collect from households in the city and the building I'm in at the moment is is heated via that. We, we've got a whole decarbonisation of energy scheme going through the city. We also are doing some really interesting work with some of the big house builders and funders of housing about retrofit, whereby one of the things that we're finding from that is that actually I think a highly localised approach is going to be needed for that. If you think about the fact that every house in your place is going to need to be retrofitted in some way or moved on to a new way of being able to produce the energy in the, in that area, then you're going to need a highly localised workforce. You're going to need confidence in the number of businesses who are going to be doing that, local builders and others. And we're finding that that highly localised approach is actually one that people trust as well, rather than the sort of someone emerging from nowhere and selling them something, if they can see it happening in their local area and they know that some of the kids in the local school are going to get jobs from it, then they're more likely to go along with it. So there's a really interesting factor there. And then the final thing I'll mention is the the new biodiversity net gain rules that are coming into new developments. That's going to be quite a big change. And that will mean that every new development needs to put 10% biodiversity back into um, whatever they, um, whatever that that development is, so new investment in tree planting and forestry and a real sense of the green part of public spaces in an area. Lots of excitement around this area as well. It's a bit of a big headache in some ways, but it could be a a, a great place making um, driver if we get it right. So, looking ten years into the future, what might a more productive and prosperous UK look like? Katie, you first, please. In a more productive and prosperous UK, young people in our regional cities will have access to high quality skill training. They will also have access to high skilled jobs locally that we don't continue to hemorrhage talent from the north to London. Thanks, Katie. And Marvin? Oh, I like the word might because it depends as most things, right? If we're more productive and that's just taking say we're looking at private sector, just as profits are not shared amongst the people, then we'll be a more unequal place, right? If we're more productive and we put that extra capacity or that extra stuff into the lives of people, then we could be a more inclusive, more equal society. On the other side as well is if we are more productive and then we focus on using less stuff to meet our needs, we'll be a more sustainable country, won't we? Because we're, we're using less to, to meet our needs. Uh, it might be that we say, actually, we can get even more and we're going to use more stuff. Then we, we won't be getting that greatest stability. We'll just be producing more stuff. It depends on our, on our approach, on our attitude and what outcomes we want to get from it. Thanks, Marvin. And Tom? Leeds is currently a net contributor to the UK economy. We actually give business rates back, as Bristol does, actually, the only two big cities outside London to the Exchequer. I'd, I'd love that to be more widely recognised, but also that the North does that as a whole. 
and that people from some of our most challenged communities are stepping onto a tram in um, 10 years time to get access to some even more exciting jobs on the net zero economy on tech than they can now. Thanks everyone. That's all we have time for, I'm afraid. Katie, Marvin and Tom, thank you very much for joining me. If you enjoyed this podcast, you can find more of Spotlight's policy reporting in our standalone Spotlight podcast feed or the New Statesman Spotlight website. The links are in the show notes. I'm Becky Slack and our producer has been Catherine Hughes. Thanks for listening.